Welcome to Embedded Edge with Knitting, a podcast that brings to life the stories behind today's embedded systems, technologies, and products. It's the show where you'll hear from both engineers and executives on some of the most topical news and most pressing challenges in the world of embedded system design. Here's your host, Editor-in-Chief of Embedded.com, Nitin Dahad. I'm Nitin Dahad, and welcome to this, our first edition of Embedded Edge with Nitin, in which we'll talk about IoT security. That's a huge topic, and there's too much to cover in one show. But be assured, we'll be covering this topic regularly in future episodes. So there are some very real challenges in a world where everyone wants to connect devices to monitor systems, gather data, and do something with that information. What happens if the system is hacked or over-the-air updates insert code that might compromise the system, steal data, or do something sinister with it? I imagine scenarios such as in the Die Hard 4 movie, where the bad guys take control through connected networks and bring on a doomsday scenario. The problem is that chip development is focused on getting smallest silicon size, lowest power consumption, and lowest cost. I'm often told adding security to devices would just add to the cost and makes no sense, until of course the system is breached. But then hindsight is a good thing. Most chip vendors say this is why it's essential for security to be designed in right from the start of system development. In this episode, I'll be speaking with John Moore of the IoT Security Foundation, whose mission is to help secure the Internet of Things. We'll also talk to the executives from this episode's sponsor, Silicon Labs. Sharon Hagi, Chief Security Officer for Silicon Labs, explains why the chip is just one part of the puzzle in the big picture of IoT and why security is only as good as its weakest link. And we'll get down into specifics with Silicon Labs' Emmanuel Samui, who'll dig deeper into enabling medical device security. First up, we speak to John Moore. I'm talking to John Moore, Managing Director of the IoT Security Foundation. Hello, John. Hello, Nitin. So, um, John, uh, give me a little bit of both your background as well as uh, into the IoT Security Foundation. Yeah, sure. Okay, so I guess, you know, as I usually introduce myself as an expired embedded systems engineer, so for some of your listeners, I'm, I'm not current, but uh, that's certainly where I come from. Uh, certainly practiced through the 80s. I was a founder of a chip company in the 90s um, and then started looking at uh, challenges that uh, really uh, are for industry to address. So it's kind of above the, the individual business level. And for the last five years, I've been looking at IoT security. I was asked to take a look at the space by the chairman of what was then the National Market Electronics Institute. The, my initial um, view was, well, what is what could there possibly be for me to look at here? It's a fairly narrow, esoteric part of the entire cybersecurity spectrum. And, you know, what could be needing my focus and I found out very quickly uh, an awful lot because it pretty much underpins everything that I know about every industrial sector that we care to mention, whether it's consumer, whether it's industrial, whether it's transport, healthcare, entertainment, you name it, uh, this has a, a major role to play. So. There we were. I was invited to take a look. Very quickly, we got to the point to see that there were some very large issues that needed to be addressed. 
and in September 2015, we launched the IT Security Foundation, and we, and we launched on uh, a simple strap line of make it safe to connect in the era of IoT, and we have three founding values. The three founding values being security first, hopefully that's self-explanatory, um, but just to state the obvious, uh, security is best done when it's thought about up front. It's very difficult to have good security after the uh, after the, the fact when things are in the field. The second value was fitness of purpose, and what fitness of purpose really speaks to is the, the context is king. So the security measures we would look at applying for consumer are quite different from what we would look at in a medical application, which would be quite different for, say, something in national infrastructure. And I often think of it in terms of quality. I used to use fitness of purpose as a, uh, you know, as a, a to talk about quality. You know, is it fit for purpose? If it's fit for purpose, it has quality. And the third one, which I think is the big one, really, which which changes the thinking, is resilience. Now, resilience speaks to the fact that security is a movable feast, and once it goes out, leaves the factory. Um, it has to be maintained whilst it's in operation because products are so complicated now, systems are so complex that vulnerabilities will appear during the operational lifetime of the product. And because of that, security needs to be fixed while it's in the field. And so there are a whole bunch of practices that traditional cyber security will know about, but us coming from the embedded space, uh, they're new to us. So the good news is we know what to do. We just need to make sure we apply them to the embedded space too. Um, the, the you, you, said, you said earlier you know, you know, new things happen. I mean, anything can happen during the low-term cycles. That's why it's important as well. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the nature of where vulnerabilities come from, sometimes they are just uh, software bugs. Um, mm. Quite often what you'll find is a security researcher will figure out maybe there's a, there's some um, vulnerability in the process that you have, uh, which will not fail because of accident, but will fail because of deliberate action. Um, and that's why those sorts of things need to be fixed in the field. And, of course, you know, this is not news, of course, because we all have PCs. We're all very familiar with updating mm. um, our PCs. But what makes it particularly tricky with IoT, and, you know, IoT does encompass quite a lot of equipment. Um, when I tend to think of Internet of Everything, I would include PCs and mobile phones. But when I think of IoT, I tend to think of the new devices that are coming along, devices which will be um, you know, constrained in terms of their performance. They may be headless, for example. Um, and the real problem there is in those constraints, yes, in the processing performance, but also in the power budget, because quite often a lot of IoT devices run off batteries. And it's quite, it, it is a, it's quite easy. It's an attack vector. You can launch a distributed denial of service um, or, or certainly you can take a system down if you can force it into uh, a state where it's continually communicating or trying to do updates because those sorts of activities really do drain the battery. Mm. Um, also, in terms of the strength of things like cryptographic functions, and where we kind of get into challenges of where traditional security works, such as uh, PKI, uh, public key infrastructure, um, there, there is a version that works 
quite nicely with IoT, but it's not for all parts. So it really is, you know, you really do have to understand your application and what is fit for purpose for your application. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, I think you also highlighted um, that, you know, it's important to also understand that security and safety, you know, although in some sort of markets they might mean the same, or people might perceive them as the same thing, they're very different. And you used automotive as an example, didn't you? So, you know, it's automotive safety versus automotive security. Did you want to just uh, uh, talk to that a little? Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I guess the, the engineering me, when I look at solving problems, the first thing I try to do is understand the nature of the problem. And so the, one of the first things I came up against was this assertion that safety and security are the same thing, and they're actually not. And it troubled me for some time, and I had to think, well, not too hard about it, because, again, as soon as you start scratching away at the surface, you can start to understand the differences. Um, when we talk about safety is something that you can do up front. You can look at things like uh, physical properties of materials, understand how how they were foul. You can also have uh, a history of failures of, you know, things like bridges, if we're talking about engineering or, you know, various ways that electronic devices can fail. And you can, you can make allowances for those things up front. And you can do something like a certification to say, yes, this actually complies with that certification. Mm. When it comes to security, the, the, the big difference is there's a human motive and to def defeat the security mechanisms that you have. And what makes that really interesting is you can only say it's secure until it's not secure, i.e. a vulnerability hasn't been exploited. And that makes certification really quite an interesting um, endeavor in its own right, because all you can say in terms of security certifications is that at this point in time, under these conditions, it was secure. And thereafter, you can't say necessarily that it's secure because there may be some new vulnerability that comes to the surface. And, you know, when we started the foundation, one of the areas we were looking at most intently was to try to consider a trust mark. And we found that that was incredibly difficult. In fact, we, you should think of security as a process, uh, not an end state. It's something that needs constant maintenance. Yes. So actually, uh, I, uh, when I was writing the IoT security report a couple of years ago for EE Times, I remember uh, a sort of veteran IBMer, uh, his comment that IoT security never stops. You, know, you have to keep on designing for it or, or updating it. Yes, and I think in terms of design, that's right. I mean, the obvious thing we can do is make sure that we have processes where we can do uh, security updates. And uh, you know, but but in itself, that becomes an attack vector. So we have to look at security around just doing things like updates. Mm. Okay, well, good, um, John. So I think you also talked about. I mean, you talked about vulnerabilities, and can you just give the background to that in the context of what we've just been talking about? Yeah, I, I can do. Um, one of the areas that we've been trying to understand the context of where things are and why is IoT security such in such a a dire strait. In fact, one of the words that I was using a lot at the time around 2015, 2016 was egregious. That really did describe how bad security was in IoT. Um, what it means is that it, in my mind, I had this picture where we had some companies who were doing security very well, but a lot of companies who were 
you know, just woefully short of the mark. And so it was, it was below ground almost. We needed to straighten this thing up and, and level up in terms of the security that the market could expect. Um, so what comes along with that, I've mentioned a little bit about certification and, and assurance, um, but what's the role of regulation here and where should regulation be set? Now, regulation is coming, and I think that's something that, again, your listeners uh, of this podcast should know. Regulation is coming, but you don't need to wait for it. Um, you can get ahead of, of the, the regulation. And with some very simple things, um, the UK government, published, um, I think probably a couple of years ago now, a, uh, a code of practice for consumer IoT. And if we consider consumer IoT as a relatively simple on-ramp into kind of, you know, industrial and medical IoT, so this is really at the baseline level. That's what we need to get to at the first point, get to a baseline level of security. They published a, a code of practice. There were 13 steps in the code of practice. Where they're moving to now is to take the top three, because they did priority, prioritize them in order, to say that the baseline for consumer IoT will encompass these three things. Uh, the first one is no universal default passwords. Uh, I, I wrote a blog on this, actually, and my... My view is that universal default passwords are just public backdoors. They are a known vulnerability. We should stop doing it ASAP. Uh, the second thing that they were advising uh, was to have a vulnerability disclosure policy. I'll mention a bit more about that in a moment. And the third one was to do security updates. Yep. I, I should, you know, I'm sure the audience will, will know more about that possibly than I do. So we'll yes. not focus on it. But the, the thing that caught my attention was this thing called vulnerability disclosure. Because coming from the embedded space, I kind of standalone systems or um, what security guys will, will talk about is having an air gap. So what's this thing called vulnerability disclosure? Well, it's a very simple concept to understand uh, and is massively useful for anybody who's making IoT uh, products. It fundamentally um, opens a channel up, a public channel, that anybody who finds a vulnerability can report it to you. So mm. you can then look at it, you can do the triage, you can ascertain whether this is, uh, you know, is a severe vulnerability that we need to update real quick, or you know, maybe it's not so severe, so we'll take care of it in the next security update. Or it may well be that we just accept that that's a vulnerability that won't have a lot of impact, so, so we're not going to do anything about it. But fundamentally, that's it. it it's having a channel where anybody typically a security researcher, but it could be just a user finds a security hold in your product and they can report it to you. Okay. That's now, it's, it, it's a very simple concept, but mm. it's just the tip of the iceberg uh, because it's a very um, – there's a, an awful lot of gaming that goes on in the mm. space, but mm. the first step for any embedded company who's making IoT products um, – you know, my plea is make sure you have a vulnerability uh, disclosure policy and you have a channel where people can report vulnerabilities to you. This will be part of regulation. It, it's in one of the top three. So um, get ahead of the game and, and, and make sure you understand what that's about. Great. And I, I know you've published that on the IoT Security Foundation website. So, um, yeah, I'm sure our listeners will want to listen. Uh, want to read well, just, just a word on that. The, um, we looked at it. We wasn't quite sure. In terms of consumer IoT, we needed to limit it to a space, and we chose you know, the market, which is really at the bottom of security consumer. And we said, well, 
of the global providers, how many of them operate vulnerability disclosure? How much of a problem or not is it? And we ran this in 2018. Um, we identified 330 global manufacturers, and of that, less than 10% had a disclosure policy, which is yeah. really, really yeah. concerning because we'd like to see that closer to 100%. We yes. ran it again with the same data set uh, one year later, mm -hmm. and the good news is it moved, uh, but it moved from just under 10% to just over 13%. So, you know, glacial movement for something which is a real basic security hygiene measure, and industry really does need to do a better job uh, because okay. it's nowhere near good enough. Well, that sounds like it needs to move a lot more. So thank you for that, uh, John Moore. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Next, Sharon Hagi explains the reality of securing silicon to cloud and how engineering needs to look holistically at the IoT ecosystem and not just the device. So uh, I'm talking to Sharon Hagi, Chief Security Officer for Silicon Labs. Uh, Sharon, hello. Hello, Nathan. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. So, can you explain to me what uh, what's quite important in terms of security uh, for our audience? Please. Yeah, um, I think the most important thing for um, you know um, uh, organizations and companies that are working on on IoT solutions is to recognize that security. Um, stretches not beyond the device itself. I mean, there's there's a tendency to to focus a lot on, you know, when you're building a device, to, to focus on the security around the hardware, you know, the uh, the chips and the uh, the controllers that go on the uh, the main board, the uh, the wireless um, connectivity, etc. So we tend to focus a lot on that. But in reality, uh, when we're thinking about an IoT solution, it, it, it's more than just a device in the immediate vicinity network. You know, we have to think broadly about all of the various components that have to come together uh, and work in tandem to basically allow the device to essentially, and that's the whole point of co uh, connected devices, is to be able to send data to things like uh, mobile applications on a mobile device of some sort <clears throat> that is typically used to uh, provision or, or configure the device or provision it on a network. Um, mm -hmm. You know, IoT gateways, for example, that mediate between unroutable uh, mesh networks that have their own sort of routing protocols and the internet, right, which requires things like uh, IP routable traffic all the way to the cloud where you have a variety of different components and, <clears throat> excuse me, and applications that are responsible for collecting data and analyzing and applying analytics, machine learning, et cetera. And, mm -hmm. uh, and typically for, a, for a, an IoT solution, there's, there's more than one of these, right? Like you typically have yeah. Um, multiple different destinations for all of this stuff. So essentially, that's what we characterize as silicon to cloud, right? It's a stack that has many different components in them that all have to come together and work. And the reality is, is that from a security perspective, you have to think about how, do, how does the solution secure each and every one of those 
and and in harmony, right, together to create essentially a secure IoT solution. So it's so it's more than just the device itself that we have to focus on. I think I think the the engineering effort has to holistically look at uh, all of them because if we miss any of them, right? I mean, security. There's a principle that we often use. There's actually a number of, of principles, but one of the key principles in security is that security is really only as good as the weakest link. The adversary is always going to gravitate towards the weakest link in a design and exploit that to essentially breach or defeat the the network or the sorry the the system. And so we are, you know, as as defenders, we're really looking to minimize or reduce the weaknesses in the system. And that means looking for weak links uh, everywhere uh, and make sure that we address those with appropriate uh, controls and mechanisms. Now, you you address uh, a lot of the consumer and industrial uh, type applications, but um, give me an example. I think you're talking about a medical device type. Yeah, sure. Um, so an example um, solution that we talked about was uh, a medical IoT device, such as an insulin pump. And there's a number of other examples in, in the area. You know, there's uh, uh, heart rate uh, sort of uh, monitors and mm. a lot of other equipment that is basically responsible for monitoring biosignals uh, and, and relay that to applications, uh, both on mobile devices so that the patients can actually see you know, and configure things uh, and control certain aspects, uh, as well as you know, the healthcare uh, providers can can actually collect data and see the see the data and be able to take action even remotely. Um, so, clearly, this is a highly regulated environment, and and there's a lot of requirements for security because you know we're talking about potentially you know. Um, really dire consequences of if, if if this system is is compromised in any way so in this environment you know you can imagine that um, security requirements are, are going to be plentiful right and you need to think about you know how do you protect the actual uh, you know medical device for example the insulin pump from being compromised by uh, an attacker uh, you know, that is in the vicinity of the patient. Maybe they're connected to the same wireless network. Maybe it's a Wi-Fi network. Maybe it's a, a BLE connection of some sort. And, you know, how do we make sure that, you know, the, the attacker can't attack the device through the network or through some kind of physical contact with the device, right? Uh, you know, could they, could they get possession of the device, you know, modified in some way? tamper with the electronics and then return it to the patient without them knowing and and causing harm that way right um, is there a way for the attacker to to intercept communication to the mobile device and tamper with that? Is there a way for the data to be modified or or eavesdropped on its way to some cloud application right that that is responsible for collecting telemetry you know is there a way for an attacker to uh, broadcast a command to the device and cause it to malfunction or, or do something that it wasn't intended to do. Right. So you see that what, what I just went through in actuality just, just now is basically known as threat modeling. And this is okay. an activity that is really critical for, I think, everyone who's contemplating engineering an IoT solution to go through at the very beginning of the, the, the solution or the, 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 the design process. Basically, what we're doing is 
we're, we're enumerating all of the targets in our solution environment. And, and, and like I said, it's important for us to enumerate targets that go beyond just the device itself and, mm. and consider everything else that the device is going to be connected to and all the data paths that are gonna be uh, included. Uh, it becomes even more important when you're talking about devices that are connecting to ecosystems uh, and are collaborating within ecosystems with other devices and with other applications and have to interoperate, right? Mm. Yeah, so one, so I was going to say, once you enumerate those those targets, uh, you mm. start you start enumerating basically uh, attack scenarios. So those are those are basically your hypotheses. So you're saying, okay, I, I have all these targets. So hypothetically, how could they be attacked by an adversary? What sort of tools could they use, and what mm. techniques could they apply? Right. And, and, and that then leads you into another phase of this uh, threat modeling where you're actually looking at the, 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 the attack surface analysis, if you will. That's when you're looking at things like interfaces. You know, what are the interfaces uh, to your device? What protocols are you going to use? Um, what are their weaknesses and vulnerabilities? And, and you're essentially, out of all of that, you have to develop basically, A, your requirements meaning those engineering requirements that then uh, incorporate security features to, to address those weaknesses, right? Mm. And you're also creating test cases from an engineering perspective so that later on you can verify that these weaknesses have actually been addressed. So you have your, your active test cases and your passive test cases, things that you can analyze on, a, on an actual running system. And those are typically accomplished by exercises known as penetration testing or pen testing. And then there is passive test cases that you can do, and those are typically done through uh, tooling such as static code analysis and and uh, other other tools that you can apply to things like your software, your firmware, or to your design, right? So you're looking okay. for for things in the design itself. Yeah, you have to you have to apply this uh, essentially holistically across your, your stack as we, as we call it. Right. And, and we're, mm. when, when we, when we say stack, we're clearly referencing more than just the network stack that it's, that's part of, let's say an embedded firmware. Uh, we're yep. talking about basically everything that has to do with connecting the device to, uh, other devices to mobile applications, as well as yeah. to cloud deployed or data center deployed infrastructure. Sharon, well, thank you very much. Now we talk to Emmanuel Sambui, who talks about security for medical devices and how threats evolve. I am here with Emmanuel Sambui, Director of Marketing or Consumer Business for Silicon Labs. Hi, Emmanuel. Good morning, meeting. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk a little bit about um, security in, uh, for medical devices. And uh, let's start from the beginnings. What are the, the big trends that you see in medical products? And specifically, you know, why does security have a role? I think there are three, uh, what I would call mega trends you know, in medical. Um, the first one is for products to become smaller. The second one to become more portable and ultimately to become uh, connected. Um, there are multiple advantages to those three trends. Uh, when you think about miniaturization of the products, um, some of the advantages are greater comfort, you know, faster recovery for patients, 
Uh, when you think about portability, uh, well-being of people, you know, practicing, for instance, outdoor sports, also uh, complicated treatment acceptance are two of the very significant advantages. And of course, connectivity brings um, I, new concepts like, you know, reporting of the dosage delivery, delivery, sorry, raising alarms, you know, in case of wrong usage and overall the big da data management. You know, tell me a little bit about um, how it's going to be important for, uh, how regulation is going to be very important for medical products, uh, especially security in medical products. So if you think about the consumer side first, uh, legislation is happening as we speak. Um, uh, people have already heard, and most developers are actually now taking into account what is called the CCPA, which is the California Consumer Privacy Act, which has become effective since January 1st of 2020. The FDA now, uh, that's related actually to all IoT products, but the FDA is also working uh, on medical products and what they have drafted um, actually at the end of 2018. And, and today it's a non-binding recommendation, but they basically have drive, drafted a document that is called Management of Cybersecurity in Medical Devices. And it's, it's pretty certain and we can almost predict that over time, these non-binding you know, set of recommendations is going to become binding at one, at one point. And the last thing here is this is also happening worldwide. So we've been talking about two things happening in the U.S. right now. But the Europe, uh, Europe has also been working on their own set of standards and have basically published what they call a technical specification and a European standard, which is the EN303645 with a technical specification 103645 that lists a set of requirements for cybersecurity for Internet of Things. Okay, and, and, and what you were saying then is that there's specific guidance within those for medical products. Absolutely correct. So they would talk okay. about uh, security of communication, you know, privacy um, uh, of data, data integrity. So all these themes that are very, very um, common within medical products. Let's get into the meat of this now. So, for example, Silicon Labs has a portfolio for medical products. So could you tell me um, a little bit about that portfolio for connected BLE medical products? Absolutely. So we recently had an announcement, you know, uh, in Silicon Labs about Secure Vault, the Secure Vault technology, which is, if I want to make it really simple, like a set of hardware and software features to respond to both remote and local attacks. Now, these set of features can be used for medical and non-medical products, of course. We're also trying um, and working really, really hard on having a good and solid understanding of the applications. And to give you this very specific example, um, targeting medical products, we're actually working very closely with the DTSEC. The DTSEC is the, the technology society for diabetes products. So it's basically, it's a set they have defined, this working group has defined a set of um, standards for security. They call it a protection profile for what they call CDDs or connected diabetes devices. And that englobes, you know, continuous glucose monitoring, blood glucose meters, insulin pumps. So we're actually working very closely with this, um, with the cyber administrator of the DTSEC on the security standards for those medical products. In, within the list of, you know, all the standards that have been defined by the DTSEC, I can take um, a couple of examples. And one of the key requirements, for instance, is going to be the over-the-air update or the ability to remotely upgrade the content of those medical products. And of course, what the, the DTSEC specifies is what they call secure over the air. And that, right. use, that could use in the background what, um, in, what we call inside of secure vault, you know, our ability to perform secure with root of trust, coupled mm -hmm. with, of course, the BLE connectivity because it is over the air. So that's one example, you know, that the D, we can use, you know, from the DTSEC 
um, that is very specific to those kind of products. Okay, and uh, so then uh, this specific uh, set of products, it's got a family name. Is that the BG twenty two? That could be the. That could be. In, in fact, that could be the entire series two of Silicon Labs. You know, the whole year four thirty two okay. in the series two. But specifically in this case, the BG twenty two is the most favored device, and the reason it's because it's got great low power attributes. You know, security, mm -hmm. and it fits very well with the application. And just we talk about maybe another one, you know, which actually is very important from a production perspective, and this is where Silicon Labs uh, can help as well, is there is a whole process about key management, you know, key generation and key management. And, and that's a very important point because when you think about millions of products that can be deployed, somebody has to help manage the keys. And this is where the production flow within Silicon Labs has been basically set up to help with these key management along the product cycle. And basically, devices can be delivered, you know, with pre-programmed keys, you know, to customers before they even deploy their, their own products to the market. When they're delivered, then, uh, so they are implementing a, a hardware root of trust or, or that's already implemented within the device. Yes. So what you have is, is what is very important from a key management perspective is typically what happens is you have to generate what we call public keys and private keys. The private mm. keys are going to stay, you know, inside the company, you know, uh, and it's not going to be uh, available externally. And that's basically mm. that used to, in order to generate the private keys, you, you use an HSM and the, the, the public keys will be deployed in each one of the devices that will ultimately be shipped with the products. Uh, and okay, that's right. what the private keys in this case, for instance, could stay, you know, within Silicon Labs and the public keys will be um, basically made uh, publicly available but nobody would have access to the private keys. And that's a combination of the two keys that can secure mm. the root of trust that you were talking about. What, what makes the second labs uh, devices, uh, Bluetooth or energy devices, uh, any different to others? I think one of the very important thing to remember is that threats evolve, you know, mm. um, it's, and, and we're, we, people ship products at T0, but they need to think about their products are going to be deployed in the market, maybe for the next, you know, few years, it could be two, mm. it could be five, it could be 10 years. And during these okay. times, the capabilities of hackers and cyber criminals will keep evolving. So mm. what, what we do is we are really um, trying to predict, you know, what those attacks could be in the future. And we're actually putting extra features on our devices that would basically help resist to those attacks uh, when they get deployed, you know, in the future. So when you think about, for instance, the protection profile of the DTSEC, um, I personally think they have done a really good job working on remote attacks and trying to mm. block those remote attacks. And that's pretty much 80% of 90% of the attacks. However, I think what they have done is um, maybe there are some improvements that could be done from a local attacks perspective. And we're actually now offering them features with Secure Vault and, for instance, BG22 on other mm. Series 2 devices that could, um, or features that could basically help prevent or at least resist to those uh, local attacks and physical attacks. And that's so, so I think that's the, that's the continuous, you know, desire to basically improve security over time. That is mm. very much a strength of Silicon Labs. And of course, that comes with the hardware and all the software enablement uh, to allow this. That's excellent. So Emmanuel, um, thank you very much. So there we have it. Security is an important aspect of embedded systems design. In a heavily connected world, it seems unthinkable to omit security in the chip development. 
two key messages we heard are that security first is essential when designing devices, and for this threat modeling is a must. And secondly, security needs constant maintenance as the capabilities of hackers evolve. That's all for this episode. Thank you to this episode's sponsor, Silicon Labs. That was Embedded Edge with Nitin, and I'm Nitin Dahad. Thank you.